Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Earthwork, your calling? Do you long to witness and support the awesome power of women as we make life, form kinship, and transform the world through undisturbed, mother-centered birth? In your most expansive vision of your life, are you the authentic midwife of your community? Walking in total grace, reciprocity, and trust with women through the sacred portal of pregnancy and birth? Then our groundbreaking Radical Birthkeeper School is for you. It's an immersive and intensive, fast-paced live program in all things authentic midwifery and self-mastery that will give you the blueprint and guidance to launch a life-altering, world-shaking Radical Birth brand and business. Think Birth Business Mastermind, life-changing coaching intensive, deep dive into all things birth, step-by-step roadmap for serving women authentically, and the wise woman initiation that you have been dreaming of, all rolled into one epic program that will change your entire life. It is time to become the lighthouse that guides women home to themselves. Head over to RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com and grab your spot because we are enrolling now and we always sell out. Say yes to your calling and join us in this revolution of bringing birth back home. www.radicalbirthkeeperschool.com After a hospital birth, pregnancy loss, and midwifery abandonment, Chelsea begins her transition into autonomous, powerful motherhood. Her journey is one of animal medicine, spirit babies, radical birth keeping, and finding and claiming her center. Chelsea tells us the story this week of being on the road with her family for her last pregnancy and what it was like to be attended by a fellow RBK graduate. So welcome, welcome. It's just a joy that I get to sit here with you today and hear your many stories. So why don't we go to wherever you want to begin this journey of Chelsea becoming a mother? Yeah. So my oldest daughter is seven now. So I guess the story goes back about eight years. 
uh, when I first became pregnant, my husband and I had been together for five years and then got pregnant within a few weeks of getting married. Um, and I was living in California at the time. We had met and spent most of our time together in New York and a job that I was working at the time in tech brought us out to California. And actually, you know, I'm grateful for that because I think I probably would have had a very different birth if I'd been here in New York. California at least gave me a little bit of a sort of a glimpse into alternatives to what everybody around me was doing in terms of the choices they were making. So over the course of that pregnancy, which was super easy, I felt really good in my body. Um, a friend had a baby six months before me and had used hypnosis. So I got introduced to this wacky idea of hypnobirthing. Uh, and then through that class got introduced to this even more radical idea that you could go to the hospital and say no to things. Like I remember my mind kind of being blown at that notion at the time. So did a lot of prep for that birth and yeah, it was all about defending myself, although I don't think I was thinking about it quite in those terms. It was all about defending myself against what might happen in the hospital. So you had some awareness that you wanted a natural birth, it sounds like. Did you ever consider home birth at that point? So it's interesting. I think um, I think going into the pregnancy, I was not interested in national, natural birth. So that even evolved over those 10 months. But right at the end of that pregnancy, the doula that we had hired floated it floated the idea of home birth once. And I remember I have like a syncope, like a fainting thing. And I remember like that was what I was stuck on. I like didn't know how that was going to show up <clears throat> in labor. And so I felt safer, the irony, but I felt safer in the hospital. That's what I told her. She, she brought it up once and didn't press it. Um, I had a pretty, rather, you'd rather faint in the hospital. essentially. I guess. Yeah. Well, at the time, like, first of all, I wasn't taking a whole lot. I was definitely deferring a lot to my OB. Okay. And I would ask my OB about this fainting condition I have. And they were like, well, we don't really know. And so since they couldn't answer it and I didn't know what would happen if I lost consciousness and labor, like, yeah. yeah. Seemed like the hospital was the way to go. I lucked out. I think the OB practice that I was in was pretty relaxed. Uh, another, I think, advantage to being out in California. You know, there was not a lot of stress around me going post-dates. I ended up going to, I gave birth at 41 and 6, and they weren't even talking about non-stress tests until the last couple days there. So luckily, I didn't have to have any kind of induction bullshit. Uh, went into labor naturally, like watching TV with my husband went out at a couch was like, I have having like period cramps. This is weird. And for all of like the classes I'd taken, I wasn't making that connection necessarily, or maybe I was just in denial, but I went to bed, woke up at four in the morning and was like, okay, these are definitely contractions. Um, and then by 10 that morning was in active labor using my hypnosis doula comes over. It's time to go to the hospital. And, um, I mean, really everything up until then was pretty awesome. And then we got to the hospital and things started to suck. Uh, given all the stories I've heard since, I think I got off pretty easy, but you know, we showed up with all our paperwork. I was trying to do hypnosis. So the idea was like, you let me be in my bubble and, and leave me alone. And of course they didn't. I showed up with my paperwork all filled out. They made me 
fill it out again. Um, they lost the squat bar that day that I had planned on using. The um, one nurse that was registering us had the other nurse do a cervical check. And that nurse, that nurse said, you know, she's, she's, she's complete. And the first nurse said, no way, check again. She's too quiet. There's no way she's in active labor. She asked my husband if my waters had broken. He said, yes. And I was like, no, they haven't. It was just like annoying, intrusive bullshit. Things slowed down. I, um, I remember transition most of all from that birth because I definitely went through that like phase of I can't do this. And I think I also had a syncope episode um, which my doula kind of confirmed, but I felt like I can't tell them what's happening in my body or more interventions are gonna start picking yeah. up. So I didn't say anything to anyone. And then at some point my doula was like, you know, we can go into the bathroom and then she doesn't have to come with us. Cause the nurse kept like pushing the monitor on my, that was the one part of my birth plan they completely ignored. I did not want continual monitoring. They did it anyway. So we went into the bathroom, I took a shower, I sat down on the birthing ball and I was basically like, holy shit, I feel her head popped back out onto the, the bed in the room. And she was born with one or two pushes. Wow. Um, so, you know, all things considered, the birth was pretty great from my perspective. The next two days fucking sucked. There was nothing to bill for. And I feel like they were keeping us in the hospital so that there were things to bill our insurance for. You know, I had refused an IV. Um, so there were all these bullshit excuses why we couldn't leave. I sort of took them at face value the first night. The second night I was pretty pissed because I just wanted to go home with my baby. There were so many, you know, just hospitals, a gross place to be, um, for so many reasons. And like, the second day was like the hospital or is it jail? You know, right. So weird. Well, the second day when I was trying to check out, they were like, oh, you just missed, First it was, I missed the pediatrician and they had to sign the baby out. And then the OB had to be able to check me out. And then when all that was done, they started making excuses about how they couldn't find anybody with a wheelchair to take me out of the hospital. And I said, cool, then I'm just gonna walk because my legs work fine. Like you can't do that for liability. And I was like, then find a wheelchair because here I go. They chased me down the hall and basically had someone push me across the threshold so that they could check that box. And as much as we were brand new parents and in, in sort of in shock that they were, you know, we were taking this baby home and, you know, all of our kind of planning had kind of ended at the birth in terms of the class we had taken. I still vividly remember driving home that day and my husband and I being like, well, if we ever do this again, it will not be in a hospital. Like, what were we fucking thinking? Mm. Um, so, I mean, my entry into motherhood was, you know, I went back to work after six months, five months, something like that, which is a pretty decent amount of maternity leave. And, um, and yet, like, I wasn't paying attention to postpartum. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was very much kind of getting back into stuff pretty quickly, physically. And I paid the price, I ended up having some really nasty, um, fissures that lasted for the better part of the year and it's like a debilitating pain I was on the verge of having surgery to have it repaired oh. and as I look back I just wasn't listening to my body it was saying to rest and I just that wasn't even on my radar so 
next time we got pregnant was um, when my daughter was 18 months and it came right on the heels of a pretty big fight that my partner and, and I had had about having a second child um, <laughs> because he was dead set against it at the time. He was like, I'm so in love with Evelyn, who's our daughter. He's like, I just can't imagine like my heart having the capacity to love another child. Right. It's such a weird, weird way of seeing love, but it's very right. common that people say that. How, how will there be room? <laughs> well, I reminded him he had said the same thing about our dog before our daughter was born. So like, it's his thing. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we took the pregnancy test the second time. He was in a little bit of shock. I was excited. Um, and we signed right back up with the same OB. Ah, uh, hey, but I thought you knew you weren't going to. I know. And I wasn't, I wasn't all the way there yet. I hadn't found a midwife. And so I was like, all right, let's get started with an OB. And then mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be able to spend some time to find the right midwife for me. Uh, and I went in for like my nine week. So I was supposed to have my, my first appointment whenever that happens, like eight, nine weeks and to confirm the pregnancy. And that morning my husband had a doctor's appointment and without getting into his business too much, he called me from a doctor's appointment with some pretty serious health related news um, of his own that we had to sort of integrate and process. And then we went to this OB appointment together and they told me I was measuring small and I was probably gonna miscarry. Hmm. So it was like pretty heavy, pretty intense day. And was that the, the first day you found out about all his health stuff? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. It was a, it was a lot. Cause I remember being like, babe, this is, this is, this is big. This is scary. We need to take it one day at a time. And there's this beautiful thing that's going to happen where we're going to go have an ultrasound and see the heartbeat, which we were excited about and sort of conditioned into thinking was part of the process. And there was a heartbeat, but I was measuring small. So I think that ended up, I waited about three weeks and I was working that whole time um, to the point that one day I was on stage presenting to like 250 new employees and felt like I was starting to bleed. So I thought I was going to have this miscarriage on stage. Oh my God. And that's when I booked a DNC because I just, it was torture. I really didn't have the support system I needed. I didn't think I knew any women who'd had miscarriages. Lo and behold, I knew lots. Turns out everyone has, yeah. Turns out everybody has. They just don't talk about it until you talk about it first. Um, mm. So I had a DNC and again, sort of mixed bag in the hospital. One very compassionate nurse, one completely oblivious, rude um, nurse that, you know, was just, I probably remember her as much as I remember that compassionate one, but at least it was over. And the morning that I went through afterwards shocked me. I mean, I think we were very surprised by the miscarriage having had a pretty uneventful first pregnancy. I got knocked off my feet a bit. And then, and then just the deep, deep loss that I felt I, I was not expecting. Um, yeah. And so I took some time off work, spent a lot of time walking in nature. We were living in the woods at the time. So I just spent my days sort of, you know, morning till night, just out walking in nature and letting myself really feel it. Um, 
And it's when I started for, it was the first time I started to really feel a connection to that baby that we had lost. And again, like this, still this concept of spirit babies was not on my radar, but at some intuitive level, like I still felt their presence, even though I wasn't pregnant anymore. And I think as a result of that loss and my husband also being quite surprised at how, how deeply he felt it, it really shifted and we got very aligned about wanting to call this baby back and, and have another child. So flash forward, I think we conceived on my daughter's second birthday, um, the second time. It was a little bit, I wasn't sure I was quite ready to conceive. I was sort of back and forth as to whether or not I had kind of done the processing I needed to, to get before I was going to get pregnant again. Because it had only been like four months, three months? Four months. Yeah, three, four months. It came maybe like a smidge sooner than I was completely ready for, but like I was ready for it. I just, you know, and, and so was, so was our baby. So was our little boy. So another relatively easy pregnancy, although had a few more symptoms, signals going on, um, just in the form of migraines that I hadn't had with my daughter. Ugh, brutal. And it took me some time to find a midwife, but I leaned on that doula that we'd used the first time. And she introduced me to the midwife who we ended up hiring and we hired her about halfway through the pregnancy. So up until then, I'd still been back in that OB practice doing scans. And they did one scan at some point, it might've been the anatomy scan. And they noticed that my son's stomach was measuring small, like the organ. And it freaked me out. And I was like, so do I have to get like more ultrasounds or what do I do? And it was a real, it was, things shifted for me in, in one conversation I had with the midwife because I was sort of seeing the midwife and the OB for a bit. And she just made me realize that we weren't gonna take any different action based on any of this information. So what good was that information? That was the first time that the seed was planted that um, what's the point of these tests if you're not gonna do anything differently based on them other than just causing agitation. So we left the OB's practice. He actually was super supportive. Um, he didn't mention, but my, my primary OB for those first two was a guy which didn't also at the time even seem weird. <laughs> Um, and then, so for the, the duration of that pregnancy, I spent, you know, really connecting with that midwife and I was, I was honestly fucking blown away by the level of support I received. It was not something that I was used to. I didn't even know that it was really possible to be held in witness like that. Like that's the overarching memory from that pregnancy. And then when it came to his birth, um, I'd been having prodomal labor at that point for like three weeks. So I wasn't totally sure it was gonna turn into active labor. So it's pretty late in calling the midwife, oh. which meant I got to do all my laboring at home by myself, just with my husband. We'd spent a lot of time preparing our daughter who was a little over two and a half to be there at the birth. She was super excited. Like all her little preschool friends were learning all the words of the female anatomy and what an umbilical cord was. And um, so I was really excited to share it with her. But once that labor picked up, it went fast. And I kept telling my husband, like, you've got to go get Evelyn. And he's like, there's no one here. I'm not going to just leave you. And I was like, no, 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 just go get our daughter. 
doula showed up and I convinced him finally, I was just like, go, like, it's not, I don't want to negotiate about this anymore. <laughs> go. And in the 10 minutes he was gone. Um, Wait, cause she wasn't we, at the house. She was at preschool. She was gotcha. At, okay. She was away at, a pre, at preschool for the day. Uh, it was middle of the afternoon. Gotcha. So it was like, and then I think like, as I think back to like birthing brain, part of it was we're going to end up having this baby right at pickup time and we don't have a backup <laughs> plan for pickup. So yeah, just like go get her. And then I won't have that on my to-do list anymore. And so as soon as he left, like having that, like being able to let go of, okay, my daughter's going to be taken care of. Um, it was basically one giant roar, what I now know to be the fetal ejection reflex. All this happened within about two minutes of my midwife walking in the room. She walked in the room, set down her bag and sat on the end of the bed, sort of on the other side of the room and just sort of watched. And with that roar, my son's head was born. Did he make it back? No. Oh. No. He missed the birth? And my daughter did, yeah. No! Oh no! We have this video that the doula took of oh. him and my daughter walking down. He's like walking my daughter down the hall to be like, okay, let's be quiet. Mommy's in labor. I'm out of the I'm out of the tub already. I'm sitting on the birthing stool holding our son, and my husband's just like, there's the midwife, the doula, and the midwife's assistant all in the room, none of whom had been there when he left 10 minutes before. And he's like, and I look at him and I'm like, I'm sorry. Totally. He's like, no, it's okay. But like, who the fuck was here for this? Oh, man, the doula should have gone and gotten her. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair oh, enough. But it's part of our know. story. With the second birth, he just, you know, you, it's hard to imagine how fast it's going to go. I was still talking, like having full on conversation between right. contractions. My doula, it turns out later, I was texting my midwife being like, cause it was Memorial day weekend. And so tons of traffic. And she's like, don't rush. She's, you know, compared, compared to where she was last time, she's got time left to go. You're not in a hurry. She was wrong. She was wrong. Um, <laughs> she's totally wrong. And it, my first interpretation of it was like, I needed to know my daughter was safe. And then I was able to fully let go. Mm -hmm. My midwife in sort of debriefing the birth afterwards said, you know, it's also just possible you really wanted to be completely alone. And so it wasn't until even inclusive of your husband and your daughter not being there. And that took me some time to wrap my head around. And then looking back, there's probably some truth to it. Um, my husband's been through all of my pregnancies, super supportive of all of my choices. And when it comes to labor, he tends to get a little anxious, nervous energy that annoys the shit out of me mm -hmm. when I'm in labor. So it's probably fair. Um, daughter walked up, came right between my legs, starts touching the baby. Um, super inquisitive. She's like, you still have a big belly because your placenta's in there. And then my placenta fell out on her feet. <laughs> She's oh touching the cord. That's she ended up cutting the cord. I mean, it was beautiful. It was fast. It was um, surprisingly hard to integrate because of how sort of shocky I felt afterwards. But I was just like, there's this thing that the people don't know about. And I have to tell everybody, you know, I was getting all this advice to not tell my birth stories because it would like 
offend women who'd had traumatic births. And I was like, no, 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 people don't know that this is, that it can go like this. Like I have to tell people. And I think, um, you know, backing up a little bit to the beginning of that morning when labor started, I think things really picked up. I took a long walk with my husband while our daughter was at preschool that morning. And I finally confessed to him, like, I want to completely abandon my career that I've, you know, I've got a master's degree and I work in tech and I'm, you know, sort of on this, this ladder and I want nothing to do with any of it anymore. Like I need to work in birth. Like women deserve to be supported the way I've been supported. And that was definitely for me when at least that first spark was lit about, um, yeah, I just wanted to completely overhaul my life because of the experience of this motherhood will do that (laughs) okay so yeah you're talking about you know doing the overhaul you have this fast birth it's a lot to integrate but you're like oh my god I want to shout it from the rooftops and I want to work with women I want to work in birth and I don't know what that looks like but I started to do you know while still working at my first of all I did not want to go back to my job that time and I ended up getting pressured to come back even earlier I was sort of given this line of like you might not have a job to come back to if you take your full maternity whoa so I went I went back and then postpartum anxiety totally spiked for me I wanted nothing to do with this job anymore and I definitely wasn't ready to be away from my baby at four months I really planned on being out for at least six because that had felt like the bare minimum um, with my daughter So I'm at work, but resentfully, Um, my husband's home at that point, he's kind of the primary. And so I'm super jealous of all the time he's getting with our son. And I mean, I was like taking classes where I could. Um, I did like a intro to midwifery course where I got some hands-on experience. I was just trying to like chip away at it and try to make sense of what it took to even become a midwife, which is incredibly confusing and convoluted and none of it really spoke to me. And so I just was in this in-between place of like searching for, uh, yeah, what my pathway was gonna be. Um, In that time, my husband decided that while he was really grateful to have that first year at home with our son, he wanted to go back to work and he ended up getting a job in New York. So when my son was about 18 months old was when we moved back to New York City, which is where we've met and the place that my husband had really missed since leaving. Like California was not ever the place for him. Um, So we came back to New York and I left my job and I started the work of like figuring out who I was without this identity of you know, my identity being coupled with the place that I worked and the brand of the company that I work for and being, you know, just a mom. And I was a hard pill to swallow. It took me a long time to like really embrace it. Intellectually, I could say that I was proud of it, but it took a long time to really embody like mothering as a first class task. I guess it was the fall, the following fall, Um, we got pregnant again. And similarly, my husband was very unsure about having a third. Um, I mean, I was pretty much saying from minutes after my son was, my first son was born, like, we have to do this again. 
And my husband just found having two young kids really overwhelming and was like, you're crazy. Uh, and it was, you know, there was a lot of transition happening. We had bought a house, we were living through a renovation. He had gone back to work, I had left work, like just everything was changing at once. But we found ourselves pregnant again that fall. And I really took on a lot of his fear that time about um, the birth. Like I took responsibility for it. it, wasn't mine, but tried to take it on anyway of like, you know, he doesn't want this baby and what's that gonna mean? And, you know, our relationship was in a really rocky position and um, cause he wasn't happy at his job and moving back hadn't really fixed the things that I think he'd hoped it would fix or we'd hoped that it, it would fix. So right before we had left California, that same doula had introduced me to your podcast. So I've been listening on and off to the podcast for a bit at that point. Still wasn't sure if um, free birth was for me. Um, and I'd had this really amazing midwife and thought that I could recreate that here. So started looking for midwives and it turned out that my due date fell at the same time as what would have been some big international midwifery conference that was gonna happen in 2020, didn't happen obviously, but it was gonna happen in Bali. And so like every midwife in the New York City area had decided like, oh no, I'm gonna go to that conference this year. So nobody- yeah, someone was, could have stayed and swept up. <laughs> no, nobody was sticking around. I mean, like there's like a handful of home birth midwives for the yeah. entire New York area anyway, but um, cause licensure is so extra messed up here, but the couple of midwives that I talked to horrified me. I mean, there were conversations about, mostly they just wanted to talk about the, the physicians that backed them and how they worked with the physicians and how the physicians would step in if something went wrong. And I was like, but I've given birth twice. I'm working towards becoming a midwife myself. My, it's just, everything has gone so smoothly. Like, why are we talking about like fetal specialists or whatever that- right, what you don't want. <laughs> One even, I, you know, she's telling me, I don't know, she's like basically talking about anemia and that she was going to put me on and, you know, well, while you decide to hire me, basically, was what she was saying, because I was interviewing her. She's like, I'm going to put you on an iron supplement. I was like, oh, no, here's my history, fissures, can't go there, can't risk the constipation. And she's like, well, I'm going to take your blood. And if you're anemic, you're going to take this iron supplement or you're not going to be my patient. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're done. We don't, interviews over. I'm out of here. Like, what are you talking about? So I called my midwife in California. I was pretty distraught. And she was actually the one that time around who introduced me the possibility of just going it on my own. She's like, you know, we can do check-in calls and, you know, there isn't, you don't have to hire a midwife. You certainly don't have to hire a midwife right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that felt really freeing. And I just super grateful for her to just like continue to offer me this support even from afar. So I did find a midwife um, who was unlicensed and I had a couple appointments with her. So at that point I was, no, I guess I had like an interview and then one appointment with her because the day before Christmas Eve, this would have been 2019 or two days before Christmas Eve, I started spotting. And I was like, ooh, okay, I've never had spotting before. And I was 13 weeks at that point. Mm. And I'd felt really, really strongly 
that I was carrying twins that time. Like morning sickness, like I've never had before. Yeah, so that day passed, nothing really happened. I kind of texted this lay midwife who I was working with just to let her know. And then over the course of that night, I had, you know, I had labor for an early birth. It was contractions. And then at about 4 a.m., I think I said something, I was, I sobbed into the darkness, something like, I don't want this, but it's happening. Uh, and there had been some part of me, partly because I'd had a loss previously, but I also just felt like, I just don't know how long I'm actually going to be able to hold these babies. Like, I don't know. I have to just, I have to be their mom right now for the time that I am, you know, connected with them physically. And and just kind of be okay. I was preparing myself from pretty early on for the possibility. So then my water broke um, shortly after I woke up my husband. And over the next two hours, I had a really calm, peaceful, um, you know, unassisted home birth for these babes. I tried texting the midwife. Initially, she didn't get back to me. Um, her husband called me back and said, um, cause he was like on her voicemail as the second person to call. He's like, I can't reach her. I've got to drive back to the house. But in the meantime, you should call 911 <clears throat> based on, you know, he's like, I don't know anything, but you know, you're talking about wanting to know if you're bleeding too much. Cause I was bleeding quite a bit. I was passing huge clots. Um, and I felt okay. So I did, we, we called 911, the EMTs came, they took my vitals. They were all good. And I was like, thanks. You can go. Um, they were pretty surprised, but I was not sort of leaving any other option on the table. So eventually they left. I had Nutcracker tickets with my daughter for that day. So I sent her to go watch the Nutcracker with a friend and my mom came down to watch my son and we just spent the day in bed. Sad, but I don't know, it was so peaceful. And then around 2 p.m., there was another huge gush of blood and a bunch more clots. And I got up to go to the bathroom. And apparently I, I fainted twice on the toilet. And then the third time I fainted walking back to my bed and I was out cold. So my husband called the EMTs again. When I came to, I was lying on the floor of my bedroom. I had no pants on and all I could see were muddy boots because there were not only two EMTs, there were three cops in my bedroom. And I was very overwhelmed and even then was sort of saying like, well, if I have to go to the hospital, can't I go somewhere where there's a midwifery practice? Can't I like drive my, can't my husband drive me? And they were just loading me onto a stretcher. It was like a non-negotiable. Um, and I felt very pressured. And I also was aware of the fact that there was a joint on the nightstand that my husband and I had um, had a couple hits on after the after that, you know, earlier that morning to help me fall asleep. And I was paranoid about that. And sort of, I just acquiesced at that point, went There's to the hospital. In your house. Yeah. It's freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the best I was able to do was make them like slow down enough to put pants on me before carrying me out uh, my front door in the middle of the winter. So you and then we went to the hospital. Felt like you were unable to decline. I tried to decline a couple times and I had just come to, I'd lost consciousness. So I was also just kind of coming back into my body. My husband was an awesome 
doula at the hospital. He was very much like checking in with me, like, what are you okay with? What are you not okay with? If they ask about doing an ultrasound, do you want to do an ultrasound? At that point I was like, well, it, you know, might as well find, make sure that all the placenta is out. I didn't care about that so much. But then when the woman like came at my vagina with the wand, my husband's like, well, don't you need to ask her before you put that in to my wife's body? Like, so he was trying to, you know, protect, like energetically protect the space for me as much as he could. And where my mind was, was protecting this lay midwife who had no shows and the hospital stuff was asking about my prenatal care up until that point. And so I just lied and said, I'd been interviewing midwives and hadn't found anybody. And I was asked, Emily, no less than three fucking times, how I knew I was pregnant if an OB had never confirmed it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, this is my fourth, no, one, two, three. Yeah, it's my fourth pregnancy. And I'm 13 weeks along. Like, what do you mean, how do I fucking know? Well, there was also all that, you know, bleeding and clots coming out of my vagina all morning. So that was another clue. Anyway, it was, it sucked. Um, I felt very abandoned by that midwife. Like I do understand why she was. What was the deal there? I think she was just trying to protect herself. She wasn't legal to practice in New York. She had a license in another state and she was crossing, you know, crossing the border and putting herself at risk. And so, I mean, also I don't really know. You weren't, she wasn't like on call for you at 13 weeks, no. you know, so who knows? And she had four kids of her own and they had just moved. And so it's, it's also possible she just couldn't get away. But um, did, you, did you guys ever talk again? She came, yeah, she came to the house and took some blood and left some like herbs for steaming and tea. I don't know, like three or four days afterwards. We, ne we definitely never had like a clearing. We never really talked about it, but I did you see- You felt let, let down by that. I felt let down, yeah. Was the twins confirmed in any way, shape or form beyond your intuition? Nope. Mm -hmm. No, I and actually- no visually, if I went through all the tissue that I'd been, like I collected it all and I spent the morning after like going through it. The clots were large. And the one step I never took was to actually like pull apart those clots and actually look. But early on when I was bleeding and losing tissue, the toilet, we have like a Japanese toilet and so it automatically flushes. And so, you know, I, I don't know that I had everything. I never actually found the remains of either baby. And so there was no way to oh. confirm it. So you never um, saw the fetuses? Mm-mm. Huh. No. That's interesting. And it could be that they were, in, I mean, the clots were large. But that doesn't really mean anything, the clots. Just, no, just to say that like, I could have like opened up the clots and potentially found things inside, but. The other thought I'm having is though you thought you were 13 weeks pregnant, you also could have been six weeks pregnant you act you actually don't know when the pregnancy became unviable oh yes sure 100%. lots of women by the time they miscarry if they're having you know yeah. like, a, like a wild situation where they're not getting all the checks the, the pregnancy could have ended five weeks right. sooner and yeah. then you stay in that in between you know your body takes a while to catch up with oh this isn't actually totally. viable anymore so the reason i'm 
bringing that up is if you didn't see the fetuses, yes, of course, it could have been that they were flushed or it could have actually been much younger. Yeah. And so it, you know, cause a thir- 13 week, if, if you had of right. the pregnancy at 13 weeks and then released right away, which is not that likely, honestly, it's way more likely that they were much younger. Right. Cause it's what's unique about these stories is the unknown part. Cause you weren't getting all the ultrasounds you weren't getting, um, you know, heart, heart tones every week in the system. And so more often than not, in my experience with loss, by the time the pregnancy is no longer viable, it can take many, many weeks. For the well, body. it took at least three weeks before I had that DNC after the first loss. Right. And it could have been another three weeks if you had not done it, you know, right. or, or even more, you know, when, when I see loss, like outside the system unmanaged, it's, it's striking how long it can take sometimes way uncomfortable amount of times, obviously it can take months, but anyway, so that's just a thought too of, of, I mean, we'll never know of course, but it's actually less likely to my mind that they were 13 weeks old. Right. Sure. Anyway. And how much younger than that they were. Like, I definitely know the the day that we conceived, but yes, to your point, the day that they stopped developing is, is a complete mistake. Exactly. It could have been six weeks and then you could still have some symptoms and then release seven weeks later. Yeah. And so then that would make more sense of why, yes, there were clots, but maybe not a lot of actual tissue. Cause if they remember the is significant, that's like, that's like, you'll see a little baby. Like that's yeah. 13 weeks. And I, that's what I was looking for. Sure. Like I, I was, um, that's what I was hoping to find. I do remember the doctor at the ER making some comment based on my, based on my blood work that, you, that they probably stopped developing around nine weeks based on my hormone levels relative to where it should have been. And so that, I mean, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what those numbers were, but I definitely don't think that they were like 13, fully 13 weeks developed. That's just where I was at in terms of. Exactly. When you released. Oh uh, God, that sucks about the hospital. So did you, did you do, did they do anything that you felt was helpful? No. Um, I'm trying to think if I even got IV fluids or anything to kind of help. No, I mean, they basically just wrote me an order to come back two days later, which was going to be Christmas. And I was like, I'm not fucking coming back. They called too to be like, why are you here? And I was like, I told you I wasn't coming back. There was not, there was not anything helpful. I mean, I suppose they confirmed that there was no routine placenta, but. Why would there be? Why would there be? Wow. That sounds like a a shitty holiday season. It was a dark holiday season. Yeah. Cause I'd sort of say about my family that they were very uncomfortable um, and ended up talking me out of, they're just uncomfortable with the loss in general. Um, but especially that it was going to be around the holidays and I was planning on flying out. Like for me, it was just like the flight's going to be a bitch cause I'm very depleted, but then I'm going to be there and I just want to be like held by my family and my family just wasn't having it. Um, they were like, don't come. Yeah. Oh God, that's so fucked up. Ouch. It was, it was hard. It was dark days that followed that. Like I definitely, um, I, yeah, I remember like rage, raging into the phone, 
screaming at my father and being like, who is this person? I've never spoken to my father like this in my life. Just being like, because after I canceled the tickets and said like, okay, I mean, this is screwed up. I'm telling you what I want. I'm telling you what I need. And you keep being like, we just don't know what you want, but we don't think that you should be coming here. And you know, it's Christmas. We can't really just all sit around being sad. And oh my God, that is so mean. Ow. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't talk to most of my family for the better part of a year after that. Yeah. Oh, so we're only allowed to be joyful and happy. Got it. God, so many. Yeah, things. it was a real. Yeah, they didn't need Debbie Downer mm. joining in the family fun. So here we are now. It's yeah, spring of 2020. Um, coming off that, I was pretty anemic. Took me a while to like build my blood back. Um, and I took. It took a long time to process because there was the loss and then there were all these layers of really having felt abandoned by the midwife and by my family. Not um, to mention the cops and EMTs forcing you to do something you don't want to do. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. That's like very scary. And that's how, like I've done some writing on it. I've done a lot of journaling and writing work in the last couple of years, particularly around that experience and that was the feeling was of fear, like just waking up. First of all, I mean, you know, like most women in the world, I have sexual assault in my history. And so naked from the waist down, just regaining consciousness, which is very similar, regaining consciousness after being drugged and regaining consciousness after blacking out feel very similar. Mm. Not having my pants on, boots everywhere, men in my bedroom, yeah, it was like, there were like a few layers for sure of trauma to that one. Um, but after a couple months when I felt strong enough, my husband and I um, decided to take a weekend away and we went to the Caribbean and it was the first time I connected, like really connected with the, the spirits of those two babies. I was walking on the beach and this little this big nurse shark baby comes up to the shore in, you know, it's swimming in a <laughs> foot of water or less. And it starts following me. And as I'm walking up and down the beach, it's turning and it's following me. And I just was like, this is, this is one of my babes. And I still was really kind of like never having confirmed the twins. And does that mean that it wasn't twins? And one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I didn't keep working with that midwife was like, she just refused to acknowledge that it could have been like she kept saying the baby and I kept having to correct her and just say weird. like weird okay that's weird this is it's important to me that you use this language of right. babies and it and she wouldn't um that's strange like what's it well maybe for her <laughs> she acknowledged it it's because she's not comfortable supporting twins could be yeah there could be a legal another like layer of just her trying to protect her kind of licensed, kind of not licensed status. Um, but, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, gosh, it's, I, I feel so strongly that this is my baby and coming, you know, through this animal to tell me that they're okay. But it's so weird that it's just one. And a second one swims up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, totally different personality, not nearly as like playful and, and like interested. It was just kind of like, come in to check me out. And then swimming away. And then I came back one more time and then swam away. And I think overall motherhood for me has really been 
albeit a slow, you know, this kind of theme for me of slow transitions, it's taken time, it's taken years, it's taken many experiences to get to the place that I am, but spirituality has been opened up for me so much just in this journey into motherhood and it's still evolving, but I grew up without any religion or any spirituality. And so it's all very new to me. And so to connect, to just so clearly connect with the spirit of a baby in nature and to just know, and to not, it didn't matter whether or not the midwife believed me. I just, I knew, and that was really empowering. Well, yeah. Um, when you have your own inner knowing about your connection to source you're untouchable like if you know when, when women when mothers when women learn how to generate our own power essentially yeah god it feels so good yeah so you go to the caribbean right because we're coming up on you attending the school too yeah and that i think was what put me over the edge to sign up for the school i was trying to remember before we hopped on like the exact timing, but um, anyway, I signed up for the school, like something, something sparked my interest. And I think I signed up this, the last day or the second to the last day before you were closing enrollment. I got some email that was like, there's one spot left. And I was like, fuck it, this is for me. Like I have no interest in joining the ranks of these medicalized midwives in New York. I don't really wanna do this path of getting licensed only to operate sort of half in, half out of this system, the way that my um, unlicensed midwife had been. And so it was like, okay, well then the only path is to just pursue, you know, working completely outside of the system. Took the course, uh, it came at such a great time because it was, everything was locked down in New York and it was really, um, yeah, I was feeling very disconnected from our community here at the beginning of the pandemic. And so to have, it just, it came at such a perfect time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And yet, as we we're going through the business module pieces of things, I felt like a resistance to actually getting started. It was like, I wanna learn this. And yet this is not the time for me to launch a birth business. And turns out that's because I was about to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. So um, got pregnant, I guess we conceived September 2nd. And that was on our um, inaugural trip of what turned into a year long RV adventure. We decided to pack up our lives and our kids pull them from school. My husband quit his job. We bought an RV. And we were gonna go travel the country for a year and um, found out we were pregnant. And it was like, well, I mean, how else are we gonna do this besides a completely wild pregnancy and a free birth? Like I've just taken, you know, I've just taken this course. I have so much more confidence than I would have had otherwise. Um, There's no real way to work with a licensed midwife. So let's, let's just go for it. And God, what a magical pregnancy on one hand, because I spent all of my time in nature Hmm. in some of the most beautiful places in the world. And And rolling deep with your family. Yeah. With my family, like all of us together all the time in really tight quarters. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it rocked me too. You know, like I will say there wasn't a lot of space 
physical or otherwise to process some of the fear stuff that came up for me, the relationship stuff that came up between my husband and I, like we had to do a lot of work um, on our relationship, but it rocked me in good ways. Like I could just tell, like there was a lot of really juicy transformation happening and I was pretty sure this was going to be our last baby. So I was here for it. I was just like, all right, I'm going to let this kind of annihilate me in all the best ways because you know, this is my opportunity. And I was, I had been talking on and off with that same midwife, just doing the, like the heart work. Like I had her there. From California. Mm-hmm. But then when we decided that we were going to stop and rent a house to have the baby in California, I just didn't feel I wasn't sure that I wanted her at the birth. It had been really nice to have her counsel. And so at the same time that I was considering uh, hiring one of my sister friends from the birth keeper school, I was also talking to my former midwife. And then that, that birth keeper had an experience of her own that kind of you know rocked her world a little bit in, in a birth that she attended and she wasn't sure so she basically had offered to attend my birth and had to come back and just, and say, I can't do it. I'm not in the space to, to support you like that. And so it was like, okay, my choices are go it alone or hire this midwife. And I don't think that it's like about having a free birth, but I couldn't quite put a name to why I didn't want her there. And then ultimately what I came to was I love this woman. I think she's amazing. And I have a lot of respect for her, but I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was deferring to her. I didn't even want to have the opportunity to defer to her in labor. Um, And I saw that as a possibility. I had worked so hard to learn how to trust, um, how to trust my intuition and my body. And when I had that conversation with her, she was like, I've kind of been watching you circle around this for a while. And I wanted to respect your timing and let you land when you were going to land. But like, that feels right to me. And just remember like midwifery, true midwifery is always going to be here for you. That doesn't mean that every person that you come across that calls himself a midwife is going to honor your wishes, but go ahead and do it alone. And also... I'm here if you need me. Yeah. And you're really speaking to what I find hard, this hard to articulate piece around choosing free birth. Like, I don't think it's free birth when it's an accidental unassisted birth. I don't think it's free birth when a midwife comes and then leaves you know, I don't think it's free birth when you engage in the system really at all, because the piece you're speaking to, like choosing to choose yourself as the sole authority of the room is its own unique set of work. And it's not better or worse or anything like that. It's, it's like, and I wish people could just see this in the like non-hierarchical lens that it truly yeah. is because m- almost all first time moms want a wise woman. Totally. Of course I did. 
you know, I just couldn't find it. Right. But a third time mom who's already like tasted the buffet, you know, so to speak, <laughs> and is is this many times now five pregnancies deep in your spiritual work with yourself, it's a different freaking calculation. It's a different landscape than a first baby or even a first home birth, maybe a second baby, but a first home birth, you know, and none of this is right or wrong. And people just really don't, they seem committed to not understanding this, but I feel like you just articulated it really well because it is its own unique set of work to specifically put yourself in an environment where there is no one else to defer to. And that to me, ultimately is a free birth. And if you choose a, a radical birth keeper, which is freaking awesome. And if you choose a midwife that's tied to the system, that comes with its own like sets of risks and choices. But even choosing a radical birth keeper, this is where it gets all very nuanced and kind of confusing for people because so many of us are showing up as sisters in these spaces where we're figuring out how to show up in this non-hierarchical way but and also women still defer to me all the time in births and the skill is in not taking it on you know and how to how to hold it and reflect it and be helpful and supportive without becoming the person in charge, so to speak. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of mistakes and, and all of that. So I'm kind of getting into this arena where I think choosing to have our sisters there as support could actually be a free birth if it's done in this certain way that doesn't yeah create an you know an authority and and deferring but like so so often we want women around so that we can look to them and go is this okay am i okay and that's i think people really misunderstand this podcast and this movement that that doesn't make you like weaker or anything it's just a different setup and a different way to be supported and some women get a really deep interest in figuring out who am i when i'm I don't like the word alone because there is so much support and there's still family and all this stuff, but who am I when I don't have that? And what does that work look like? And it's just a different way of doing this, which ultimately is what I would call free birth. So after that conversation, the uh, birth keeper from the school, my sister friend came back and said, you know what, actually I've done some more work on my own and I feel clear. And if you'd still like me at your birth, I'd like to be there. So we only had really the last couple months of the pregnancy to work together. So it was pretty abbreviated, but I think since we had the foundation of the past year that we'd spent together virtually. Um, and for me, like the biggest thing was I wanted my two older kids sort of cared for in whatever capacity they needed so that I could both involve them but not spend nearly as much energy as I had with my son's birth, like catering to their needs. So in the end, we did have, um, we had this wonderful woman there and she, yeah, she did exactly what I asked, which was to support me as a sister. And then, you know, but just always, defer back to me like in the event that I was even going back to that instinct of 
trying to outsource any any part of responsibility that she just sort of reflect back to me and remind me that you know well what you know what do you think if you if you tune in you know what are you hearing um so the birth itself i mean it, it was it, it, i don't know what to say it was fucking awesome i had taken nancy lucina's um divine creatrix course mm. over like during the pregnancy and one of them was about kind of like imagining your dream birth and then when some of the some of my sisters from the school held uh like a little mother way blessing for me. And I was asked to tell that story of, you know, sort of how I imagined the birth going. It, it's uncanny how in keeping with that, it actually fucking played out. Like for me, I, I walk away from this most recent birth being like, I manifested all of that. Like I dreamed of this house and then I found it and it was the perfect place to birth and then spend my postpartum. I wanted this particular woman there. And at one point she wasn't sure if she was gonna be able to, but then that sort of righted itself and ended up working out. Everything down to like, I imagined that the morning that I was gonna, morning, you know, that my labor was gonna start, we were gonna make love. And we did, we had the most like earth shattering sex that morning and and everything else kind of played out. Um, yeah, played out the way that I imagined. We mostly spent the day together as a family by mid-afternoon, I was feeling like, because again, I'd been three weeks or, or so of perdomal labor, um, but ended up texting um, my birth keeper and saying like, just a heads up, things start to feel like they're getting more intense. And by the way, take a look at this picture of my back and my sacrum was, it was like a, like a tennis ball. It was bulged out that much. And my, my youngest, my son started, um, OP. Like I could definitely feel that he was sunny side up when he started his descent. And so my back was, and, and pelvis, I think was just already opening up because oh. this was, was the longest and most intense of my labors. Ended up, so she came over at like four or five. She's like, do you need anything? And I was like, just leave me alone. And she checked in a couple hours later and I was like, nope, just keep leaving me alone came to be time to put the bed like the kid the big kids to bed and they were pretty excited obviously because it's like all right baby's finally coming and I laid down with them to help them fall asleep and my son started crying and I was like what's you know what's wrong like I promise I'm gonna do everything I can to wake you guys up this time so that you don't miss it and he's like but tomorrow you won't be pregnant mommy and this is my little four-year-old son he's like i won't be able to rub your belly and talk oh to baby anymore and then my daughter starts crying she's like we're not going to be able to listen to the heartbeat anymore and then i started crying and i was like you're right this is like this is my last moments of being pregnant and they were like giving me permission to mourn it and, and we were doing it together because we'd done it all together. Like the whole pregnancy had been this family. Now I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna cry too. Well, we'd all done it together. So by the time I was in transition, it was one in the morning. I had spent a couple hours first laying in bed with my husband, listening to Yolanda's affirmation tracks. Then things got too intense to say, and I mean, but that was just this like beautiful, like we just cuddled and and connected and, and laid there together. And then I got in the pool and I was in the tub, you know, the birthing pool for a couple hours. And 
just intuitively doing this thing where I was like on my knees for a bit and then flipping to my back and then back onto my knees and then then leaning needing to lean back and I think you know baby and I were just working together I think I kind of alternated between whispering during contractions of saying like you're doing awesome good job baby we're doing so good and then roaring um so about 1.30, I finally was like, okay, go get the kids. So they got to be there for about the last 20, 30 minutes. And it was with one big, huge contraction that I felt his head come through. And I was like, holy shit, his bag of waters is intact. And I had really committed this time. Like I was not going to like push without a contraction to try to get the shoulders through. Cause that's how I'd torn a bit with my second. And, um, felt him turn, felt the waters break as his shoulders came through. And um, I think I said something like, holy shit, so that's what the ring of fire feels like. Because my first two had been so fast, I hadn't felt it. Pulled him up onto my chest and he had, you know, his whole head was covered by the sack. So I kind of had to like pull it back over his head and like get the cord untangled and do a few sucks to get the sack out of his mouth and um you know he was a little gray I mean he made some noises but he took his time coming through and I was just kind of whispering to him like you're here and we love you and it's okay we can go slow so we stayed in the tub for a bit he pinked up started making some noises it was pretty celebratory in the room um transferred over to the bed and then Basically spent like the next two and a half, almost three hours getting to know baby, snuggling in bed and then getting on the birth stool and then back into bed and nursing and drinking and the placenta wasn't coming. Um, but I don't, like time is so weird anyway. I, I don't remember even noting how much time had passed, but at some point the birth keeper said, um, you know, it's been two and a half hours. How are you feeling about the placenta? Is it possible like you're not quite ready to not be pregnant? And I said, yeah, you know, I think that that's part of it, but I also haven't peed since I got out of the tub. So I think I need to be alone. Um, it might be part of it. And I also think I need to pee. And I went and there was a little alcove bathroom that I could shut like a pocket door and be alone. Peed, placenta came, like easy peasy. Um, and we just, we just hung out and chilled in bed for the rest of the day. I had worked really hard to set up postpartum support. So I had food delivered and massage therapy and acupuncture that was able to come to the house and support me there and put the kids in camp for a few weeks as part of why we stopped where we were. And we just, we took it slow. And I took like a full six weeks um, of just mostly being naked in bed in this beautiful room in this beautiful space. Yeah with the babe before we got back on the road. And I think because of that, I really like honored the postpartum for the first time. And much more of my planning was around the postpartum this time than it was around the birth. I was like, the birth is just gonna be the birth. It's just happen. Happen. Yeah. But these things that I can control are, are what happens afterwards. And even so, like I would say, staying up in that room for, I mean, I, I almost, didn't leave that room at all for the first three weeks. And that was hard on my family, like my kids. To do that, if it's your first baby, I think is amazing and beautiful. Right. It comes with some challenges when you have two young kids and some stuff came up for my husband definitely around just like how much 
how much he was doing, which I pointed out like, so, you know, this is all the stuff that I do all the rest of the time. And you're just doing it for a few weeks. So oh suck it up. Like, but I felt so free to say that like, yeah. Okay. So maybe this part's hard for you. That's okay. It can be hard for you. Cause we're committed to this. Like I'm, we can't go, we can't move back into an RV with a six week old unless I've done some serious healing. Um, but we did, and we spent another four months on the road. Um, we're back at our house now for now, but it was pretty awesome to be able to get right back out into nature mm. and, and still just be spending all that time together as a family. Like it was super healing after having my uh, husband and daughter miss my son's birth, like to just really have all been there and in it together from the beginning to the end. And he's such a chill, fat, happy, calm, awesome baby. I love the part. It made me emotional to hear you share the part around him coming in slowly and you just whispering, you know, I love you. We all love you. Take your time. You can take your time. Like, what if, what if the babies of this world all got to have that, you know? Like it is so well, and I think violent how most babies are born and the softness and sweetness of setting like his first, the first thing that he knows of a room of the physical world, the first thing he hears is you can take your time. Wow. That's really powerful. Yeah, there's just, I mean, part of it's probably his personality, but I do think that the baby that he is um, stems from the way that he entered into this world. All the all way from birth. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know how much is nature versus nurture or whatever, but of course, of course, all of us are shaped by those first imprinting experiences. and it lays the groundwork for contented infancy in a way that birth and captivity cannot, it cannot. And you had like a pretty, a pretty undramatic birth in the system, you know, yeah. with your first one, but it's still just totally different, of course. Yeah. So do you feel, do you still feel done? I do. Yeah. I do. I feel like, the, the the pregnancy that we lost after my daughter, like that babe absolutely came back to us in the form of my first son. And so I think like the one, the last story I, I will try to tell really quickly is that over the course of the pregnancy, I kept having these encounters with animals and specifically with birds. And at different times it was different birds, but they were always in pairs. Hmm. Once it was cranes, and then later it was hawks. And then when we were up in Washington towards the end of the pregnancy, it was eagles. Like I just kept having these connections with eagles and I was always seeing them yeah. in pairs. And in fact, my son's middle name is Adler, which is German for eagle because of it. Uh, but right as the trip was ending, we were like leaving that morning to head to the house where we were gonna give birth. I saw there were two bald eagles circling above my head and it just felt like oh it's it's the twins again here they are and I'd spent the whole pregnancy like by that point 
I was pretty darn sure that we weren't having twins. I mean, I had, I mean, only sort of my own palpation and stuff to go on. And my husband kept quizzing me being like, are you sure we're not going to have surprise twins? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not. Um, and I just, when I saw these two eagles, I got this message of like, we're, we're going to stay together. And I just said like, that's okay. And they turned and flew away. Like I looked and I said, I understand that's okay. These two eagles fly off and I'm like, okay, it's not going to be either of those babes. Um, but what's been coming to me since is that in fact, I think, I think my son embodies the spirit of both of those babes. There's been some other clues for me. Um, that in fact, maybe maybe they did come back, but they've come back and they've come back into one body or some part of them has rubbed off on him. Because um, I just, I feel like all, all and maybe, maybe it's just that I'm at such peace with them not being here on this physical realm. I'm still kind of sorting through it all, but I just very much feel like I have all my babies in different forms, but like they're all, they're all here now in, well, they in one never... way or another. I mean, they're your crew, like whether they're in physical form or not, they're your crew, they're your people. So they're your souls, right? They're your soul family. And so whether they're two souls in one body or whatever, you're all cut from the same like fabric of consciousness, right? So, mm. you know, you're in or out of the physical realm. They're all here all the time, regardless, right? There is no actual separation from your from your crew, you know, yeah. and they'll take different forms and, and all sorts of, you know, we could get as imaginative and creative, you know, around it, of course, as we want, because that's really interesting and playful and, and yeah, fun. And they're yours and they're each other's, you know, so I think that that's beautiful. And I love the Eagle story. It's a great, a great note to end on. Yeah, thank you. That was really nice to hear the whole the whole thing and and really the honesty of how dark it can be and how like tense it can be and just the pain in the family and in the ups and downs of marriage and it's just such an honest real story yeah thank you thank you so much And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one -on -one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. 
the picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love, everything with intention, death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the stars. Conscious conception.